Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And uh, just as a throwback to our past, we've got a special little, special little ditty for those who are longtime listeners. Here you go. The Church Planner Podcast isn't the podcast that planners deserve, but the podcast they need. We're back, baby. I was so happy to be able to play sound effects again. Woo! And, and I was like looking for them too. I was like, I don't know where they are on my computer. And I'm like digging around and found a few of the, the oldies, but I'm still looking for the one that says, I made my money the old fashioned way. I got, I got one over my Lexus. Lexus. <laughs> <laughs> I say that to people all the time. Do you? Yeah. Well, I like to say that's from Parks and Rec, by the way. I did take it upon myself to look it up. That's what it's from. I I like to say uh, all the time to people, that's a spicy meatball. (laughs) Mamma mia. That's a one, a spicy meatball. That's so funny. Good times, man. Good times. Get to the church blind. Get to the church blind. Go now. (sighs) Oh, Arnold. He's been so missed. Oh, 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 I didn't play this one for you. Oh, and since we're going into Smack Talk, because I got some Smack Talk. Here we okay. go. Well, let me tell you something, brother. Now that it's that part of the show where we talk smack, what you going to do when the Church Planner podcast runs wild on you? Uh, uh, I really hope uh, Zoom is recording all those great sound effects. I'm going to be really disappointed if they're not. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, so, uh, I, I have like a hundred sound effects, but you only have room for, I, I have so many like things like never tell me the odds, you know, like I got a bad feeling about this. Man, well, I got, I got one. so many bad feeling about this. Yes. Oh. Okay. We'll see. I should never have doubted you. I, I got spots for three more um, and then two more commercials. Oh, oh you know what you need. You know what you need on there. Uh, one of my favorites. I have. 
no name. Oh, I, I, actually, <laughs> I actually found that one. I was like, yeah, I'm not putting that one on. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> How about the one uh, where it was like, uh, I have a jar on top of my fridge that has money oh. in it. I'd like to have more money in it. That's where you come in. <laughs> I like to put more money in that jar. That's where you come in, sir. Yeah, I love that one. It's from some Adam Sandler movie, right? Oh, yeah. It's totally Adam Sandler. Yeah. So, oh, dude, God. I got some smack. I got some smack. Dude, hit me. It was a, it's been a while. I was thinking this morning. I'm like, man, BMP haven't caught up forever. I wonder what he's up to. I was near you in Houston recently. You were. I felt yeah, I was salty and upset, but I got. Yeah. yeah. I, I reach out. I got to tell you this before we get into Pete's smack. I, I, I text him. Because I get, you know, held over in Houston, as always. I mean, that was my own stupid fault for going through Houston. Never miss a chance to get uh, stranded in Houston. But uh, I I text him, and there are not many friends I can count on. But I text Pete, and I say, I was stuck in Houston. I went too far from you. Did you feel me? And Pete says, he texts back, I felt a presence that I haven't felt since dot, dot, dot. I love it. I love it. So um, here's the deal, man. I told you we had this hailstorm on May 19th that like destroyed our roof, literally destroyed our roof. Every roof in like my part of Plano is destroyed. Uh, Many of my neighbors have already replaced their roofs now. And I, I guess it's just like a normal occurrence and insurance has to pay for it. Right. They're just like, this is the deal. Like, you know, and I guess in Texas, there's a state law that says they can't raise your rates because of acts of God. They just have to pay it. It's not like you did anything. So like Jamie's car, <laughs> Jamie's car got trashed. <laughs> like we're talking, it was, it ended up being close to $12,000 in damage that the insurance company paid. And, um, now her car actually looks really good because right? like every single dent on the, like they had to replace the hood because it had cracked. And I guess, uh, you know, the, the when the paint cracks, like we just got to replace the whole hood and all these different parts on it. And that's just the deal. Like everyone here in Texas is like used to that. And I guess they had like four or five of those hailstorms this season. And that's not normal. And um, and it was bad. Like my buddies lived there a lot longer than you have. And he said, I've never seen anything like this so far like it was yeah. so bad uh, it tore his roof up yeah that's what they do like it it what it does is it shatters the integrity of the shingle and so then as it bakes in the hot sun and then it rains again in the winter it basically turns your roof into a, a sieve and it's it's no good anymore so unfortunately for me and i do say unfortunately i'm naming names i went with all state and i want to be 100 clear you are not in good hands with all state they apparently are known for just being shifty as all get out. In fact, um, I met a bunch of these contractor groups with roofers and stuff uh, for actually business, not for any of my roof stuff. And uh, someone put out the question, hey, what are the worst insurance companies to work with? And one guy goes, anything that has state in the name, state farm, all state, state auto. Like and if it has state in the name, it's just known as like, OK, that's going to be a bad company. Okay, so, so let me let me interject one word of wisdom here. For any of you that find that, because I am with State Farm, I've uh, been with them forever, but when my house flooded, 
I got no deal. And what I did is I called, and I'm going to change everyone's life here for the better. Ooh, let's hear it. I called what they call a public adjuster. Yeah. This is the best kept secret in America. Yep. yep. Um, called a public adjuster. Oh, are you going there? Should I shut well, up? I'm going to have to go there. With, well, let me tell you what guys. happened real quick. I called this guy. My neighbor said, hey, when my house burned down, they wrote me a check. I ripped it up and threw it in their face and said, you're joking. He goes, so I got a hold of this guy. He's a public adjuster. And I said, oh, is it? he said, I think his name's this, that, that. He he couldn't tell. So I hunted him down. I found him. I called him literally after going around for weeks with the uh, insurance adjuster um, guy giving me all these lowball numbers. I called this guy up and one phone call. He goes, who are you with? I said, State Farm. He said, good. Which I guess for him is good because he right. he he knows them. Real. He said they know me. Anyways, he goes, "Who's your adjuster?" I said, "Oh, this guy. He's out of Arizona." He goes, "He goes, yeah, he's over the Southwest, not anymore." And I go, "Oh." He said, "I'll have the uh, I'll have the the regional director in your living room on Tuesday. Is that good for you?" And I went, "Yeah." These guys meet like the big boss, the guy that's over all, yep. not the adjuster, but the big the guy with the guns. He goes, yeah. So uh, they, they, we, I meet them. They're arguing. What the public adjuster knows are former insurance agents. They know everything mm-hmm. you're entitled to. Oh, yeah, wait. He had to have his clothes cleaned uh, for the mold toxicity. I would have never thought of that. They know all that. Okay. They're yelling at each other. Then they shake hands. You know, they're all friendly because they do business all the time. But the insurance company does not want you to know what the guy does. He he got me two time two and a half times. He said, "Call me first next time a major disaster happens. I'll get you three times. I could I could get you in between two and two and a half this time uh, of what what they offered." But he goes, "Next time, call me first, and I'll help you set it up." And uh, anyways, dude, we were staying in like I live in a nice neighborhood. We were staying at like Airbnbs there that like right over the ocean. Like it was crazy, dude. Like. All of our meals were paid for the entire time we were displaced. We had a food. It was unreal. Like yeah. I would have never gotten this stuff. All the stuff you're entitled to, these guys will get it for you plus a butt ton of money. That's how I remodeled my house. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it. so they, they, <laughs> so, you know, our church planner, Jared out here in Texas, he used to be an insurance adjuster as well. And so now he actually gets hired by all the local roofing companies because he knows how to write up what they call the supplemental insurance stuff. And he knows how to write it up. So that way the insurance company has to pay it with the proper documentation. So just like you're talking about with the public adjuster. And um, so Jared, like, as soon as I told him, I go, Hey, you know, here's my situation. I need a roofer. He goes, Hey, who do you want? I'm like, he goes, you want me to give you a couple of names? I'm like, dude, no, just, just tell me who I want. I don't really care. And, um, so Jared has just been on it, right? I mean, he's he's a great church planner out here in Texas. Awesome dude. Uh, solid dude. Knows his stuff. And it, as soon as I tell him I'm with Allstate, he goes, oh, dude, I'm sorry, man. It's going to be awful. <laughs> I go, what? He goes, they're awful. He goes, they're one of the worst companies. They try and shirk their responsibility left and right. Um, he didn't say you're not in good hands with Allstate. But every time they would say that to me on the phone, I go, liar, liar. <laughs> hands like they try and end the call with that and i'm like you're lying because <laughs> i freaking hate these guys at this point so here it is it's been two months 
since then, actually over two months, two and a half, maybe coming up on three here. And so the very first, like they immediately, they get the claim, they process it and they're like, uh, here you have to replace 401 shingles or something like that. And it's like, no, that's insane. Like that. Would no, you're doing time. my whole roof. Yeah. You're not, you're not replacing not 400 shingles. shingles. It's, it's the whole roof is trash. Right. Like 401 like, clean number, huh? Yeah, I know. Right. Where'd they come up with this? And, and Jared's like, that would take days to do. Cause you'd have to be like, okay, this one goes and put a new one here because it doesn't work like that. Plus all my gutters got trashed. Apparently fences are a really big deal here in Texas. So they have to stain my fence again, power wash it and stain it. Cause it's got all these dots on it from the hail impact strikes. And um, so, I mean, like they even have to like recomb my, uh, my HVAC unit. And you know, that's if the HVAC unit survived. I mean, you know, I guess that's all part of the, what they got to find out is if they can recomb it or the insurance company has to replace it. So that day, like it took three days and he's like, okay, you know, here you go. And it's the total low ball. Like you were talking about with state farm. It's the total low ball. And Jared literally gets on the phone with the guy and the guy's like, uh, let me go talk to my manager. And the manager looks at it and goes, yeah, we got to replace the roof because it's ridiculous. And they go, just, you know, give us the supplemental. So Jared sent them the supplemental a couple of days later. And it's literally been with them for months now. And then on Friday, they tried to go, oh, well, well, here's an extra thousand dollars. And it's like, no, you have to pay for all of it. And so I keep telling them, I go, look, I got a podcast. I'm going to make you guys a weekly feature on the podcast because I want everyone to know how bad you are. And I want to save our audience from ever working with your company. They don't care. Right. They just, they don't even care. And so I go, I go, okay, well, just so you know, I've been licensed for 23 years. I've never seen an insurance company commit such blatant insurance fraud. It's what's called a bad faith claim. And that's what they're doing. They're totally doing this. It's insurance fraud. And I'm like, I'm going to file a complaint with the Texas Department of Insurance. So finally, I get this one manager on the phone last Monday. And and so I'm talking to her like, what's your name? She gives me her name. And I, I go, okay, what's your license number? She goes, what? I go, your license number. She's like, what do you mean? I go, well, you are licensed, aren't you? And she goes, yes. I go, well, what's your license number? I need it for my complaint to the Department of Texas Insurance. And she's like, Ugh. and I go, never mind. I'll get it off the internet. So today, this morning, I went and got it off the internet because she was like, oh, I'm going to call you on Wednesday. This is last Monday. I'm talking to her, right? I still haven't heard. It's been a week and a half later. I still haven't heard. And I'm like, dude, these guys are yeah. so bad. So well, bad. This oh. this is the airline. Yeah, I mean, it's a racket, right? Insurance is a racket and we got to have it. But here's the thing, right? Um, airlines, like uh, if if our smack talk today, by the way, if you're new here and you're like, why are these guys not talking about <laughs> church planning? Uh, you're new. Um, yes, we talk about church planning, but we do this little thing called smack talk. Recently, we haven't been doing super long smack talks. We've been doing super short smack talks. But uh, we do do smack talk, which is just our life. And maybe you're here and you're like, I need church planning wisdom. Uh, scrub ahead. But if, we'll get if we'll get you it. know, if you if you like what we have to say about church planning, you know, hey, maybe get to know us. Stop using people, you know, like maybe Stop. build relationship <laughs> with us. You know, church planning is kind of about that. If you don't know that yet, church planning is about disciple. Will you disciple us, please? You know, come on, church planner. Come on, rock star. Disciple Pete and Peyton. But, you know, today's smack talk actually is probably more uh, Peyton and Pete get salty about companies that Ooh. have upset them. So, so that's our smack talk. 
I have added a new airline to lists of airlines I will never fly on again. Is it Spirit? Is it Spirit? No, oh, no. But, you know, I, I think I did them. Uh, was it Ryanair, Spirit, one of those Lingus, something like one of those little teeny ones? I'm like, no, never again. Oh, Frontier. It was Frontier. Oh, and not Frontier. because Frontier was uh, naughty. They weren't naughty. It was just so uncomfortable. I'm like, humans, humans don't work this way. But no. American air. How could it be that uncomfortable when American your size? Oh, dude, I, how is it when with someone your size? I, I mean, dude, come I on. would be miserable. Oh gosh, <laughs> it's like a torture chamber. But anyways, on uh, so American air and I have this age old feud. Like I tell a story on through the word, um, and and maybe you remember this when Eden was real small. It's probably on an old episode, and I yelled Houston Airport down. I was like, you open that door right now because Eden was a stroke risk. And they told us, you know, look, and we had an hour layover and we made it and they, um, the plane was late, typical, you know, but American Air, whenever I fly on American Air, I regret it. But my baby was at risk for a stroke. And they were like, you just have to get her back on the ground, you know, with no more flying within a certain time window. And so we, 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 everything was set up and then the airline dropped the ball and they shut the door. Uh, they actually shut it early before 10 minutes. They didn't wait for us for the 10 minutes, you know, 10 minutes, they shut it. And so we got there uh, 12 minutes before and they shut the door. And I said, you open that door right now. This baby's at risk for a stroke. And the guy was getting tested and I said, you get your supervisor down here right now. I'm getting on that plane. You open that door. And he started. And I was like, you're not understanding me. And like, dude, like I have never lost it in public like that. I mean, it was one of those where everybody's looking over like, what in the heck? That's, you know, I told my situation recently where like that guy stood, you know, Mm. stepped up on me. I'm not a violent dude. Even this time, I was real calm. I was like, you know, nobody's going to die here. Okay, it's inconvenient, whatever. But I did add um, uh, United Airlines to my list of airlines that don't fly. Here's why. Because of the hubris of these companies, we're in Orlando leaving the Free Methodist Conference. They actually uh, waited two hours for an employee who decided not to come to work on time. And kept us all waiting so they could get up in the air with this employee rather than shifting us to other airlines or whatever. And then when I didn't make, and a ton of us didn't make our connecting flights, they didn't wait. I got there two or three minutes after they shut the door this time, the 10 minutes. And I said, wait, you you guys didn't wait for us? Like, you know that you have other people, you've got airplanes taxiing in that are late and we have connecting flights in the old days. This is how it used to work. I'm old enough to remember you would come off a gate. They would call, there'd be a supervisor handling it. Hey, the Joneses are coming over from Mm. gate E3. They're going to be at C13. They will, you'll need to wait 10 more minutes for them playing takeoff late. No problem. You'll make it up in the air. They always do that. They're not doing that anymore. They don't give a rip. So I go to the hotel. I get to my hotel at like, midnight right in houston there's a line an hour long going all the way through the lobby this is every hotel in houston around the airport because this is how airlines are doing business 
And so uh, when people were walking in the door, I kept saying, welcome to United. And people were just laughing like, no, that's so funny because that's what United Airlines Mm. does now. That is their policy. It's not sustainable, but we keep bailing these airlines out. So am I salty? Yes. And will I fly United again? No. And there's just one word I have for everybody. Delta. Delta is my favorite. I will fly Delta every chance. I will pay extra to fly Delta, 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 Delta all day long. And Delta, you can pay me for that. That's funny. I've been told uh, Texas Farm Bureau is the insurance company I want to go with. And so I priced them out and they were like $300 more. And I'm like, worth it. Yep. (laughs) Goodbye, Allstate. But wow. um, Okay. So, um, Oh, hey, this is not related to any of that stuff, but I got to share this with you because this is something you're going to be able to relate to, and it's church planning related. Okay. Finally, we get to church planning. Gosh, okay. So I advocated for those of you that are waiting. So last night, Jamie and I are trying to find a show to watch because we just finished our our last one. And you know what's on Netflix? You've probably seen it. Jesus Revolution. Oh, yeah. I saw that in the theater. I didn't. Dude, I was... I was like rocked by that movie. Yeah, it's a good I movie. was like, I kept like hoping Jamie wasn't looking at me because I would tear up every once in a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm yeah. like, I'm working with these church planners that have gone through far worse actually than how they depict what Chuck Smith went through at the very beginning, yeah. you know, when he yeah. started bringing in the hippies and people yeah. were like, this isn't right. And literally all I could think about was I was actually talking with, I don't want to, I don't want to bring this up. So I won't say who it was, but he's a church planner in texas <laughs> and, and um so he knows who i'm talking about and i remember talking to him one day and he was like yeah you know what um i was preaching about uh, diversity at the church and i actually had people members of the church come to me and say you need to stop talking about diversity and bringing in people from other cultures like i'm like wait this is this is the 2000s yeah. and people are saying that yeah and like i'm looking at the the jesus revolution movie and I don't know if you remember the scene, but, you know, he brings in a whole bunch of hippies and, um, and of course they were all upset because <laughs> they had dirty feet and they're ruining our shag carpet. Like that was such a, a great line, right? The shag carpet. <laughs> so what does he do? At least in the movie, right? I don't know how accurate all this stuff is. I'm sure it's all based on the truth, right? So he has a foot washing and he's washing all their feet before they come in. So it's like, almost like a stick it to that. It looked like a, a board member or something, you know, somebody of, uh, of yeah. importance in the church. And, you know, he talks about, he goes, Hey, the door is always open. The door is always open. Any time of day or night, you guys want to come here. You can come here. And then he's, he's, this is a Sunday service. Right. And he, and he, he goes, and there's some people here who, you know, may not like that. And just so you know, door works both ways. <laughs> you can leave if you want to leave and literally right in the movie, at least a couple of people stand up and they leave. Yep. And then you see this one old dude who stands up and Chuck Smith's just kind of looking at him. And he crosses the aisle and he goes and sits in between a couple of the hippies. And I'm like, dude, I'm losing it. Right. Cause I'm like, dude gets it. Right. Yeah. You know, 85 year old dude. And he's like, I get it. This is, this is what church is about. This is what Christianity is about. This is what Jesus is about. Yeah. And it, it, was, it honestly, it was hitting me really hard because, you know, I teach, uh, I teach, you know, Bible pastors, not just church planners, but Bible pastors, how to make money, how to start their own business and make money. And I'm working with a couple right now that have been really like kicked in the teeth by their churches. And, mm. and certainly one really hard got kicked in the teeth. Like you've even coached him. You've coached yeah. him and his wife. 
Yeah. And I'm like, you know, all I can do is I'm looking at this going, man, this is, this is what church planning is all about. It is literally going where no one else is going. It's doing what no one else is doing. And it doesn't matter if it pisses off the established church. Like I remember you saying one time, you're like, I will offend every Christian if it means I can reach a non-Christian. You, you, you were just like, I don't, I, mean, yeah. I don't want to offend Christians, but I, I'm not going to concern myself with yeah. offending Christians. Yeah, Spurgeon, and, Spurgeon yeah. said the same thing back in his day, uh, where he said, "I will smash my foot through the floorboard of etiquette to reach one soul." And you know, um, <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, that has to be the mentality, you know, and. You know, like we said a few minutes ago, it's all about relationship and that discipleship, investing in people. That is the secret to church planning. We we take ourselves out of the game, we get off the front lines, and then we um we try to pour into the church as an entity. That movie, what a lot of people probably have missed, is it was about relationship and discipleship. Mm. And then as Chuck was pouring into Lonnie. Lonnie's pouring into others. And, you know, maybe this becomes our topic today. Have we talked about this movie yet? No, I've never seen it. Oh, well, let's talk about it because um, I came up and we're watching the trailer. I'm like, dude, I think this is the movie of Calvary Chapel. And then you see like the iconic dove and I'm like, dude, it's Calvary Chapel. Oh, it is Calvary. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Lonnie Frisbee, it's really interesting. I'm surprised we haven't talked about this. We've talked about Lonnie before. Sure. I had a lot to say about this movie when it came out. Um, it is a beautiful film. Wait, wait, and... hold on, hold on. Sorry. Uh... Oh, oh. All right, Scott, it's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. Oh, <laughs> it feels oh, for all so our new good. listeners who have heard us say that and didn't realize what it came from. That's what it came from, right there. We, we make our own sound bites. Now we 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 very arrogantly boast. We make our own. It's because our machine was broken and Pete got a new one. So thank you, Pete. Thank you for caring about our audience. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it is it is a beautiful film. I mean, the cinematography on that thing is awesome. The story is really good. The, um, you know, there's a lot to say that's really good about it. Like more to say that's that's good and over the top. But me being Peyton Jones, right? I'm gonna maybe give the balance. That comes from being in Britain a little bit. The only issues I had with it were some of the things regarding Lonnie Frisbee. Lonnie Frisbee is very near and dear to my heart. Um, He was an apostolic leader. Um, And we'll talk a little bit of the ins and outs, but one of the things the film really depicted, and I was shocked at this, but Greg Greg Laurie's actually read Church Zero. Um, I, I gave him personally a copy um, he was supposed to have endorsed it actually, and he didn't. He he dodged me. I think it was a little too radical for 10 years ago. But um, he promised, he's like, Oh, yeah, I'm gonna endorse it. Cause I I came from those circles and I knew Greg. And so uh he's like, Yeah, yeah. And I remember having a talk with him, like, hey, this isn't one of those like you're promising you're gonna do it, and then you're gonna like me being me, right? I just go. You're not going to then like hand me off to your secretary, right? And then she's going to like, like give me the forearm. And he goes, no, no, Peyton, honestly, I'll, I'll do it. But anyways, in the movie, <laughs> and sure enough, the secretary, like I said, I come from that circle. I know how things work. 
But I ended up uh, kind of sitting and watching the movie and being amazed that you had depicted very clearly an evangelist, which is Greg, a teacher, which was Chuck, and an apostle, which was Lonnie. All See, depicted Lonnie as the evangelist. No, Lonnie was the apostle. He was apostolic. Well, it made sense to me when later he goes, <laughs> I start things and then I get kicked to the curb after they're started. That's that right. Definitely is an apostle. That's apostolic. Yeah. And in the way that you know, because an apostolic really um is has the ability to take kingdom culture, move it across the boundaries of church and non-church, go into enemy territory and establish community there, like an outpost. That's what apostolics do. That's their speciality. So with Lonnie, what he was able to do was to do that in hippie culture. He was able to bridge that culture and create kingdom culture within. A big reason for that was he was one of them. He was. I mean, yeah, he was. That and and it was so funny because when he got saved up in Haight Ashbury, he didn't he didn't really have uh, much guidance. Sorry about the the work of building. We're getting the apartment ready for a, a family need. Oh, okay, yeah, that's uh, the apartment right below me is is being used for someone coming into our church plant. But the uh, uh, the funny apartment right below you. Where are you? You're not at home. Oh yeah, I'm in my office. Yeah, yo, you, you yeah, didn't man. know when when it's we upstairs? did the extension. Yeah, I'm upstairs. Uh, dude, you got to come see my house. It's yeah, it's different. We California. added a story. I'm never going to California again. I'm not never again. To assault. I'm done. <laughs> well, underneath me is an apartment that we built really for our mother-in-law. And she came in and said, oh, I'll never live here. <laughs> like, okay. So anyways, but uh, so, so with Lonnie, um, when he got saved, he, you know, like so many of the people that, that get saved and don't have any guidance, um, he did a really funny thing, which is he had this deer skin being a hippie. He, you know, kind of made it into his own clothing and it was kind of like a cloak. And he said, this is the anointing of Elijah. And, um, he wore it and that, that was the jacket that had the picture of Jesus. And they kind of showed it in the, when he was hitchhiking right. in the very beginning. Yeah. And that was a real thing. There was a lot of really, really accurate things. There was some inaccurate things, which I went back and talked to people that, that lived back then. Like, for example, they tried to make him like he was a glory hound. Um, Lonnie brought back, this is going to be controversial, but Ronnie, Lonnie brought back what we would call the signs and wonders movement. Um, he, he was at uh, Fuller. They asked him to teach a class on it. And Lonnie had this crazy anointing from the Holy Spirit where he could, if you ever want to see, there's another movie on Amazon Prime called uh, Frisbee, The Life and Death of a Hippie Preacher. It's a documentary about his life. Um, And there's just people that remember. They're like, I remember standing on the beach in Newport Beach. Lonnie just, there was like 50 hippies all partying and hanging out. Lonnie walks up and goes, hey, you guys. God loves you. And they said he preached to him for five minutes. At the end of five minutes, he calls them to repent, to put their faith in Christ, and he baptizes 50 hippies right there and then. And they're like, he was, there was just nothing like him, right? This crazy anointing on this young man. And, um, and that's what was kind of harnessed. So when I was in the movie, I got a little upset because... <laughs> The way that the director, it may have been intentional or unintentional, 
um, paced the movie and had the pivotal scene where uh, Lonnie says, you, you wouldn't have this church without me. When I was in the theater, everybody went like verbally, everybody went, Ooh, like, like he was a villain suddenly, you know, and they were kind of turning it that way. Um, I talked to hippies. I knew from back then they said he would, he would have never, ever taken the glory from God or, or he was never like that. That guy was was always giving glory that I kept having issues with is I was like, okay, I know these guys from not personally, but I, I know them from history. And I just don't see them like going for the glory. <laughs> like I was just like, right. they would always be like, no, this is God's church. This is yeah. like the whole fact of what they were doing. Like Chuck was like, hey, look, we're going to lose our last tithers. So be it. Yeah. Because this is what God has called us to do to reach the yeah. lost. And I was like, you don't, I'm sorry, but that's a different mindset. That's the mindset of our church planners. Right. That's the mindset of our guys who are like, I don't make any money being a church planner. I don't make any money, you know, being a Bivo pastor from the church. I'm here to, to reach lives. I'm here to reach people for Christ. And there's a different mindset. Like you're just not, like you said, you're not there for the glory. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about people coming to know God. And I just, so some of the things I was like, eh, I, I just, I think that's more for the effect of the movie because they're thinking people won't understand how much. They just want to serve God, and that's what they're trying yeah. to do. Well, Jeff Jeff Runke was Lonnie's best friend, um, and I had lunch with with um, with Jeff a few, maybe a couple. It was right when the movie came out, a couple weeks afterwards. He and I had lunch, and um, he uh, that dude's crazy prophetic in himself. I remember back when I was working at Nam, I was chatting with him. He called me up when I was redoing the house here and uh, the guy that <laughs> I decided to drop my own power line because I couldn't afford to to pay uh, everyone else to do it. And he um, I got this this call from this guy because the, the, I had to have a guy sit and watch me do it uh, officially licensed. Uh, I don't know what they call him, an assessor or whatever. And we just were talking and. Um, he was a Christian. He said, yeah, you know, you you got to meet my friend. Cause I told him, oh yeah, I'm a church planner, yada, yada. And he said, man, you're, you're apostolic, aren't you? And I go, yeah, you know, like it's taken me a long, long time to figure that out. But um, he saw, oh, I'm going to tell my buddy about you. Anyways, this guy, Jeff Runke calls up, gives me these crazy words of prophecy. Like, like, first off, he knows exactly. He knows conversations God and I have been having speaks right into it. Um, and then he said something cause I, I gave a little bit of a, yeah, but you know, blah, blah. I, I heard you're saying that's cool, but this and that and that. And, and I gave him all the problems I saw with where my future is going. And he just laughs and goes, that's not going to be a problem for you in the future, Peyton. Ha ha ha. And, uh, God's going to work all that out. Dude, I'm on the other side of that now going, holy crap. But the guy, it was just his word of encouragement that I cling to, but he, um, you know, we had, it was funny when we were at lunch, Lonnie's sister called while we were at lunch. Um, and he said, you know, she has been in tears for days because of the depiction. Like she went and saw the movie. I was like, no way. He had spoken to Connie, Lonnie's ex-wife. Connie's come out in defense of Lonnie. Like, you know, you could say a lot of things about Lonnie, 
But he, again, like everyone who knew Lonnie said he was not a glory hog. You cannot do that to him. And I don't know if some of it was that Greg maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe, and it may not even be Greg. It may just be the director. Like, I don't think people know how to deal with apostles. I don't think they knew how to deal with them then. The thing I always tell apostolic people like planners in denominations, organizations, uh, networks, you were built for the frontier. You were not built to operate within the church or the system. Lonnie never had his own church. Could have. Crazy gift and anointed. Could could have started 10 of his own churches if he wanted. But that wasn't his apostolic calling. His apostolic calling was to work with APES teams and to catalyze and to start things. And that's what he did. And he did that really well. In fact, many people don't know this. Um, he not only catalyzed Calvary Chapel, there would be no Calvary Chapel as we know it without Lonnie. Uh, so that was true in the theater when everyone went, Ooh, I actually out loud, I was with Bo Moffat. I, I actually, I actually said as loud as everyone else. That's actually true. (laughs) Cause that's what Peyton Jones does. But then, um, you know, the, um, uh, what was I going to say, but, but for a, an apostolic, they won't, the system will not embrace you. It will use you. It will use your gifting. It will, it will welcome the, the catalyzing effect you have. But as an apostolic, you have to understand you're too radical. So if you're apostolic, you're like, huh, how come my system doesn't support me? How come it doesn't use me? How come, how come I get bypassed? Lonnie kept getting bypassed. What, what Lonnie would do is he would go catalyze something and then they would look at him like, huh, we don't know what to do with you now. Like you're either like, we're kind of afraid of you because you could break everything as much as you quickly built everything um, because you're radical. Um, what would you do with John the Baptist in your church? What would you do with Paul in your church? Would you want Paul in your church if you were the pastor? You know, and, and so these are the dynamics that, that happen. And, uh, Lonnie went on from Calvary catalyzing that to then catalyzing the vineyard, which he did in 1980 on Mother's Day. He went to a church service. They gave him a few minutes to speak. He burped, burped into the microphone, kicked his sandals off. This is no joke. He had, he had stomach issues. And then, um, he just said, I, we need to welcome the Holy Spirit. We've been locking the Holy Spirit out of our churches. And um, Holy Spirit, like, came down. I mean, like, people were repenting, and it was crazy. And then uh, John Wimber uh, went back home and was like, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have that guy come. He wrecked my church service, yada, yada. John Wimber wrestled. God told him, you have him back. You get out of his way. So Lonnie came back, and the knight did the same thing. Um and Lonnie was the apostolic catalyzer of the vineyard. Then Lonnie left there, and then he went to Florida, where there was a um, trying to remember the name of the guy down there, but there was this big discipleship, almost like a you know discipleship multiplication movement, and Lonnie catalyzed that as well. But then at that time, um, Connie was unfaithful with uh, one of the pastors down there, and that just broke Lonnie. And Lonnie disappeared. Lonnie just kind of, he broke. And he disappeared for years and years, came back in the 90s. Um, There's a lot more to say about that, but I'll stop there. Yeah. Now, to me, I was just like, 
it, it was a really powerful movie because I don't know. You could just see the effect that our church planners have on communities. And yeah. I was also like trying to wrap my head around. Okay. So <clears throat> no one understood the hippies. Right. I mean, think about it too. <laughs> like I kept looking at Jamie as we're watching the movie. I'm like, look at Chuck Smith now. <laughs> Cause he kept changing his clothes. Right. First he was, <laughs> you know, the good 1970s, uh, you know, big yeah, he did all suit. that. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I'm sure. 100%. No, he started wearing hippie shirts and stuff. Oh yeah, dude. There was one scene where I'm like, look at that shirt, dude. He's like, he's a freaking <laughs> Hudson Taylor, right? He's like, all right, yeah. I'm going into the culture. <laughs> yeah. He had these like, groovy sideburns growing out, you know? Yeah. I mean, he did what it took. Yeah. And, but to me, the thing, you know, how they started, and again, I don't know if this is accurate, right. But you know, um, Chuck Smith starts out with, you know, God wants me. He's going to have to bring a hippie to my door <laughs> yeah. and explain it to me or something like that. And so what does God do? God sends Lonnie, which is daughter in the movie, at least sees him, picks him up in her car. And he starts talking about Jesus. She's like, you got to meet my dad. <laughs> and, wow. and, and then she's like, well, dad, you said uh, that God would have to bring you a hippie to your front door. And he did. And he goes, I said it, but I didn't mean it, <laughs> right? <laughs> which is that is typical us, right? That's oh, he so... was such a grumpy, a grumpy, like 45 year old dude. He was 45 that, when that us. happened. That's yeah. totally us. Like, that's how we are. Well, I don't mean it. Right. You know, I like yeah. how my life is. I like how I do things. I don't like those people over there. And all I could do is I was trying to like, like Lonnie could, this to me was like a really powerful line that he said, he goes, what do you think the drugs are? These guys are trying to find God. Yeah. And they're using drugs. They're using, um, you know, experiences, physical experience, sexual experience, whatever, to find God, to find purpose, to find meaning in life. And he's like, they just don't know. Mm. They don't know about God. They, you, they don't know about Jesus. They don't, they don't know, but they're looking for him. So you got a group of people that's looking for God and no one from the church wants to go talk to them. No one wants to show them God. And I'm looking at that going, okay, how do we take that to today's modern culture? You know, because we look at millennials, right? We're like, millennials are a waste. (laughs) They won't do anything. They won't work. They're pansies. You know, give me, give me, give me. Now it's Gen Z, right? Now we got to pick on Gen Z. Is that what it is? I don't, I don't know. Dude, I'm too old. I'm freaking too old. I don't know all the. the I actually have great respect for the millennials, man. Those, those kids get stepped in. Okay. Whatever it is, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like, so I'm looking at this going, okay, so how are we supposed to be reaching that next culture? Yeah. That next subculture in our, in our current, you know, Western civilization. And it's not like I have an answer to that, you know, and and then I look at it too, in terms of where I live now, where, you know, 40% of my neighbors are Indian, like 40% of the people in this area are Indian from Indian, uh, uh, usually from India directly, because they all got the accents. Like they're, they're not, you know, they're first generation. I'm like, how do we reach them? Like with the, the hippies, I think in some ways it's easier because you could see how they were looking for God. They were using experiences. They were using drugs or using everything else. And I, you know, I don't know, but it's the question that that enters my mind. It's funny. You're saying this because uh, we're not thinking about reaching the youth. We've given up on the youth Mm. and 
you know, the, the weirdest thing is, it's funny, Andrew and I were at a church planning think tank and they said, put your, put the things that you think we need to do for church planning in the future. Um, it was, it was a big group of us and <clears throat> some of the names you'd know, some of them you wouldn't. And, you know, everybody went around on whiteboards. They broke us up into groups and, um, Andrea put the youth, um, reaching the youth. And then when we went around to all the other groups, we were supposed to number the top three that we saw. And Andrew, you know, you had like little cards, like little stickies for your thing. Andrea put all three of hers on the youth. And when it came to explain, she said, guys, if we don't pour everything we have into them, it's all over. Like it's all over. That's the only one for me. And funny enough, our church plant right now, we've got this church plant. It's it's still forming its little strike team. Um, if you read Plantology, you know that we call map stock strike teams. The weird thing is we made a decision at the very beginning that we were not going to separate childcare for this church plant. We were going to have the kids with us. Well, what it means is I've got a bunch of 12, 13, 14-year-olds that make up over half of this plant. And Andrew and I, this past week, we were away uh, in Florida at a free Methodist conference, which, man, I <laughs> love to do an episode where I'm telling you, why Peyton became a free Methodist. But um, that that's a whole nother conversation. But the reality is that- Wait, 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 you know, can I say it? Yes. What would you do for $1,000? I'm a <laughs> I thought you were going to go, I'm a Methodist. Oh, no. The, oh, dude. Oh, <laughs> I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Where's that soundbite? <laughs> I want that soundbite. Now you have to play it because, okay, I'm not a United Methodist. Please know I am a free Methodist. They're conservative theologically. Um, that I, We'll do a whole episode on why I'm a free Methodist. But anyways, all this to say... Um, the amazing thing is that it hit us when we were away, we we're coming back and we we're traveling and, and Andrew and I kind of clued in like, you know, over half of our church right now is 12, 13, 14 year olds. What are we doing? Like we saw it, we saw it for the first time and we're like, okay. Like we've been incorporating them in, they're helping to lead worship. You know, we've been talking about, Hey, let's give them a little five minute devotion, start training them up to teach a little bit, start getting them to sharpen their chops. But now we're like, okay, we actually have the youth in front of us. They're here. Like, what do we do? Because when you say, how are we going to reach them? My thought is we're not, they are. So I want to pour into them. And so to be honest, like, I, I know this sounds crazy, but those of you that know this church plant started with a, a house cleansing anyways, it's not the most conventional of church planting starts. Um, but we're kind of thinking, man, this might be our experiment. Every church plant we do is an experiment, but what if we just poured everything we had into these young people? even to the point where maybe it feels like we're going backwards and we're becoming youth pastors again. I don't care. You know, that surely Chuck Smith had to have felt like that. Um, and I'm not, I'm not in any way saying that what we're doing is going to be anywhere near what Chuck and Lonnie did or anything like that. It's so small right now. It's not impressive. It's not fancy. Um, it's just, it's just love of the game and discipling people in front of us, but that's where we're at. And I think 
if we're not pouring into the youth, we're seeing them as a sidecar to whatever ministry we're doing, we're already blowing it. Man, it's crazy. I mean, one of the things they said at the end of the movie was uh, they think it might have been the biggest great awakening that America's ever had. It was. Which to me is just crazy because you don't hear about it. I mean, you hear about it in our circles and you hear about the great awakening in your history books, you know, but you don't hear about the Jesus revolution, the Jesus movement. You don't hear about that at all. And it, and it became a church planning movement. Stetzer says that Calvary Chapel was the biggest church planning movement of the 20th century. And you and I were a part of that. I, I mean, I, all my friends like Phil Metzger, he's now back in San Diego. All my friends, they all, you know, basically took off to the mission field. We went all over the world. Some of my friends went to Africa. Some of us went, you know, Chris Langham went to Bay St. Louis after the Hurricane Katrina. You know, he left four years after me. Um, I was the first one to leave refuge. But I mean, all of my friends that were my age from uh, Gen X, with it, there were still ripple effects. We were just planting churches. That's that's was the effect. Imagine that kind of multiplication that goes out, you know, um, and, and there's marks of a movement that you can look at that, that Calvary fits. If you guys haven't seen Steve Addison's books, um, you know, like marks of, you know, what Jesus started, um, pioneering movements, those books I highly recommend. By the way, I wrote the forward for his new book. I just had to throw that in there. He has a new book, uh, which covers acts, which was inspired by plantology. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. So uh, Steve Addison, great guy. Check his book out. But he does uh, Marks of a Movement kind of thing. That why, by the way, Marks of a Movement is actually another book. That's by um, Winfield Bevins. If you want a really good book, Marks of a Movement, that's about Wesley and what Wesley did. So God keeps raising up apostolics throughout time to catalyze. And we're at that place, guys. Like we are at a parallel in American history again with where Chuck was at. And um, again, it started with discipleship relationships, pouring into young people. Prayer meetings was the other thing. When you start reading about Lonnie Frisbee, uh, they kept praying. The hippies just wanted to get together and keep, you know, kind of like Acts chapter two, where they met daily, they ate together, they did all this, but they kept praying. And Chuck kept saying, well, okay, let's have prayer meeting afterglow. One night, while they were having an afterglow, a Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully, a prophetic word came. I think it was Cheryl uh, Broderson who shared it. Um, Might have been Kay, but the, the word came and it was because of what, because of the worship that's come up before my throne tonight, I am about to pour out my spirit on the Western seaboard um, in a movement. Like that was all prophesied one night. And they, in with the encouragement of that prophetic word, that's when they started hitting the beaches. And they actually went out and started hitting the beaches. If you've read um, Reaching the Unreached, um, I talk about this a bit, that um, go is followed by wait, seek my face, and then they go out again. So there's a, a rhythm of go, pray, go in the scripture. So. We need more of the same, please. Oh, how about she's having? Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, it was it was a great movie. 
That's yeah. all I wanted to say. It was a good movie. No, you that's good. It. It's on that's Netflix. good. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's another. Uh, so maybe our title is not Peyton and Pete get salty over a few companies. That ah, but a good saltiness into a great uh, great discussion. On a yeah, movie. come on, that's so. But us. but the Jesus Revolution, you know that that's uh, it's worth seeing. You guys go ahead and see it, uh, but be sure to check out the life and death of a hippie preacher, um, which the movie is called Frisbee. That that will be a good balance oh the other thing is um in the movie it does depict that greg started harvest um that was actually that little church uh that they were talking about that actually had close to a thousand people in it when uh lonnie left it um, because he he didn't see himself as a pastor and chuck was trying to get him to go there because what do you do with a guy like lonnie you push him out right you get him to go somewhere else and that's where lonnie was like no no i, I don't but it was a thousand people you know, it was anywhere from 800 to 1,000. It was an Anglican or as Episcopalian. They don't say this in the movie. It was actually an Episcopalian youth group in Riverside that had asked Lonnie to come. And, of course, it exploded because, hello, you know, super anointed apostle. Uh, he catalyzed that, too. That became Harvest. So it wasn't like this little church of five people. In that, the movie might have given Greg a little too much credit, right? Greg's an evangelist. He grows things. He doesn't start things. So that that's an important thing to know. Um, but when you see in a movie like that, the apostle teacher and evangelist working together, it's beautiful. Mm. Crazy. All right, guys. Well, hey, uh, that's it. That's all we got. So, Pete, uh, let me let me can I can I play my commercial? <laughs> We're going to play a first time commercial from uh, Pete Mitchell. Missionbybusiness.com. Okay. Hey there, bivocational pastors. Are you tired of spinning your wheels, trying to juggle your church duties and provide for your family? Well, hold on tight because I've got some game-changing news for you. It's time to unveil missionbybusiness.com, the holy grail of training programs crafted exclusively for bivocational pastors like you. We get it. Your time is sacred and you deserve a money-making solution that won't suck up every minute of your day. In just nine short weeks, you'll become a powerhouse armed with the secrets to launch your own business using the mind-blowing force of artificial intelligence. Yep, AI is going to be your secret weapon. Now it's time to stop dreaming and start acting. Head over to missionbybusiness.com and feast your eyes on our masterclass video, which covers everything in much more detail. It's time to build a business that fuels your dreams, supports your church, and provides for your family. Don't wait another moment. Seize this opportunity with both hands. Head on over to missionbybusiness.com now. And if you want to no, go, wait, wait, no, I gotta wait, 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 no, no, now I got to do my, hey, oh, I got to do my commercial, my okay, commercial. Do it. Do it. Hey, guys, uh, this is not going to be as polished as that last commercial. But what I can say is we are starting up cohorts in the fall here in September. Our first one is going to be called Ancient Pathways. It is funny enough what we we're talking about today. It's about character first. Because if you want uh, God to use you, your character, not your gifting, is the main thing that God works through. And so we're starting our year track called Disciple Like Jesus. In the next year, we're going to train you to do what Jesus trained the 12 to do in those three and a half years. And we do have some church planner training starting up, but this is the thing that we train everybody to do. You, your team, anyone in your church, your church plant can take this and we focus on character, discipleship, gathering, and scattering. Those are the four things that Jesus discipled the 12 to do to turn the world upside down. Acts is what it looked like after he was gone. 
and they continued his ministry. So we're going to spend that year training you. The first one is Ancient Pathways. Head on over to newbreedtraining.com and sign up, and we'll tell you all about it. See you there. And remember, if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.